I want to take a moment to share the most exciting project I've ever worked on and a project that will be my primary focus in the weeks, months, and years ahead. I've launched the Cashflow Nirvana Mastermind. The Cashflow Nirvana Mastermind is the inner circle of the Cashflow Ninja ecosystem. In our exclusive mastermind, business owners and investors have access to all the strategies, tactics, tools, and community to build and protect wealth in turbulent times and crisis. Join a community of resilient business owners and investors that are building a parallel economy and the future during times of chaos. As a member of the Cashflow Nirvana Mastermind, you will receive a monthly newsletter and video newsletter with intel business owners and investors need to know, bonus reports, bi-weekly Zoom calls, and a bonus monthly happy hour Zoom call to network within the community, access to a community social platform to interact with community members. The Cashflow Ninja Rolodex that includes all of our preferred vendors and partners. A parallel economy and members Rolodex. The goal there is for members to do business with each other. Deal flow of our community. Get access to the best deals available from our preferred operators and members as they become available. Educational content. That includes how to create a strategy right now and how to create a business right now. Your Cashflow Nirvana membership subscription will order a new annually at the same rate locked in with this purchase as a founding member. To become a founding member and get the founding member discount, go to CashflowNinja.com forward slash Nirvana and join before January 6th. That's CashflowNinja.com forward slash Nirvana. Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast sharing how to create and grow income streams and manage, multiply, and protect your wealth in the new economy. Are you tired of trading your time for money? Do you desire freedom today instead of retirement in 10, 20, or 30 years? I'm MC Lobsher, and this is the Cashflow Ninja. This is Cashflow Ninja. I'm MC Lobsher. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Cashflow Ninja podcast. Everything Cashflow Ninja is at CashflowNinja.com. And don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at CashflowNinja.com forward slash subscribe. I've got a great show for you today. I'm joined by Ian Horowitz. Ian, welcome to the show. What's up, MC? How you doing? Good, good. I've uh, really enjoyed the time that we spent together and getting to learn all about you and your family and all of the many different amazing things that you're up to for our listeners and viewers that's not familiar with you and um what you do can you share a little bit about your background and uh, your journey with them well apparently first and foremost uh, i don't know if people are going to see this on video or it's audio only apparently i've inspired someone else to grow a beard so i gotta say congratulations yeah. on that it looks <laughs> looks great uh but my name is ian horowitz with equity warehouse uh and we invest in real estate we syndicate real estate deals um, and we started from a very humble past and we're grateful for what we have today. And we have a nice sized team based out of here, uh, in Baltimore, Maryland. So talk about your story. Cause you gave a little bit of an overview, but you really started like with nothing. Uh, you were a fireman and just talk me through that whole uh, situation from where you started and your journey and why 
and maybe there was a moment too, or maybe a lot, a, a couple of them where you're like, well, this is, this is what I need to do. And this is where I need to pivot. And this is what I can do outside of this. Yeah. So we, we, as me and my business partner, my business partners and I, uh, we both wanted to be career firemen. Uh, we ended up, we grew up outside of Philadelphia, uh, and I'm going way back here, but you couldn't take the test in Philly unless you live, unless you live there. Uh, the chiefs would actually show up, knock on your door, make sure you actually lived in the city to take the test. So we skipped through that, said, all right, let's go down. A couple of friends of ours went to Baltimore. We ended up becoming uh, firemen for the city of Baltimore. You ever watch The Wire? That's where we worked, the heart of West Baltimore. Uh, if you saw the riots when they happened, that's where we worked, uh, literally in the middle of it. Uh, and we thought that was it. Hey, man, like, we got it. We got a government job, right? Like, what do they tell you? Either go to college or get a government job and you'll be good for the rest of your life. You know, so this is 07 and 08. Uh, we respectively get hired. We all know what happens in 08 and 09. Um, maybe it's going to happen again today. We don't know. Uh, but we all know what, what happens between 08 and 2012. So here we are. We, th- we, we got the best job in the world in our eyes, right? We love what we do. We hate all the BS around it. So 2009, we get furloughed. 2010, uh, um, they just come in one day and say, you guys don't pay social security. You only have a pension, but you know what? We know you signed up for a 20 year pension. Screw you. Now you got to work, uh, 25 years, fight us in court. Okay. 2012 Obamacare comes like the, all the benefits of working for a career fire department or for a government agency are just being stripped away. I'm sitting here. My business partner's sitting there going, we're about to have kids like, Dude, it's a thousand dollars a month for put kids in childcare at that time. Like, yeah, I couldn't mentally figure it all out. And I said, you know what, dude, there's got to be a better way. And typical fireman, we were working uh, two 10 hour days, two 14 hour nights at that time. Um, and we were landscaping, hustling, building stuff, construction, electric work. It didn't matter. We're working seven, eight days a week just to make ends meet. And we're like, dude, what are we doing? And I said, what can I do when I'm asleep at work to make money? And I just kept coming back to real estate. I didn't know how, didn't know why. I love the game of Monopoly. All I knew is when I'm asleep at work, I can make money. If I die, right? Because we have a job where we could have died at work. Um, That job right there, I was like, how can I leave a legacy for my family at that point? Or legacy or make sure my wife and kids are taken care of where they got cash flow coming in not knowing that the city would pay that out if we got killed in the line of duty. I knew real estate, she could sell the assets. She could keep the cash flow. She could take care of the kids. In 2012, uh, we bought our first rental house and we just kind of grew it from there. We can go down that path. I know it just gave you a ton of information there. So, No, there's a lot to unpack there because you said you were uh, at, in a job where you could die, but you could also get very badly hurt and not die and then be disabled. Yep. Which would, you know, at that stage, put you in the exact same boat um, because you're unable to then still earn income, right? Um, so that was the big thing. And I just wanted to touch uh, uh, on this, too, because this is very important. So for folks that work in government, you know, th- what's going on in the bond market right now? That's an entire podcast episode by itself. But essentially, the short, the here's the, the Cliff Notes version is people are going to be very disappointed to find out that most of the pensions are gone. You know, Robert K. Saki wrote a whole book about this, who stole my pension or something, who took my pension. Most of the pensions are gone. The benefits uh, are unaffordable. 
you know, for not just for gov- federal government, you know, we're talking yep. state, local, most of them are bankrupt. Well, and, yeah, exactly. Not to cut you off, like just yeah. real life example. I'm sitting around the kitchen table telling these guys who work in 40 years and we're in Baltimore. It's not like some hustling, bustling city. It's a down dirty city, Detroit-esque, you know, uh, some of the other tough cities in the country. I'm sitting here telling these guys are going to buy real estate to secure my retirement. And they're like, no, nah, man, that pension's good. There's a billion dollars in there. I'm like, yo, California went bankrupt. Detroit went bankrupt during that time. All private industries went bankrupt. I'm like, you guys are betting on a city who can't even manage their funds to pay us, right? Like, you're talking about pensions going bankrupt. I always viewed them as a reverse pyramid scheme. I don't want to call it a Ponzi scheme, a reverse yeah. pyramid scheme, because they were shutting down companies. So the guys before us, there might have been 3,000 members. Now there's only 1,800 dudes paying into the same thing. It's a reverse pyramid scheme. And we're like, dude, this, this is a house of cards. It's bound to fail. And the reason they came in and switched our pension one day was because they were shorting the actuary payments into the pension system. They said, you know what? Instead of us making our mistakes and being held accountable, we'll put it on the backs of the firemen and the police and all the other workers who take care of the city. You know what? Sorry, fight us in court. And we ultimately wound up losing in court after spending millions and millions of dollars on court cases when we should have just put the million dollars back into our own side pension system and took care of the members rather than wasting this money on this fight. But that's a whole other topic for another time. Yeah. And if you're not even working for uh, in a government job, I mean, there's a lot of people um, that are thinking, well, I have social security and benefits. I'm like, that's the exact same scenario, the exact same. This might be out sooner, right? So uh, I remember seeing all these projections prior to um, prior to 2020 of like, oh, it's going to be like 2038 or something was the, was the year. Now it's like 2028, basically, because of all this QE that happened since, since 2020. So essentially, like these systems are completely insolvent by like 2028, which is basically five years away. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's basically tomorrow, right? Like yeah, it, it's, it's not, here. Yeah. yeah. And, and too many of us. And unfortunately, it all starts early on. And, you know, unpack, now that we've had a lot of success, I've been able to unpack a lot of what happened to us. It was like high school, go to college, get a job, put money in your 401k, and then there'll be Social Security at the end. Social Security wasn't supposed to be the crutch that you survived on. It was supposed to be an additional benefit. Right. And too many people got away from that. And, you know, just watching guys sit around the, the kitchen table. I mean, you want to watch them. Hard dudes, dude, 40 years in the streets. One guy worked both riots. He worked the riots in the 60s and worked the riots in mid 2000s. And I was like, Lieutenant, like, what are you doing? He's like, I just, he's institutionalized. And I'm like, you didn't make any, like, you're losing money coming to work. What are you doing? He's like, well, all I got is the pension. I got nothing, no other purpose. And I'm like, man, that's just like, that's a, it's just crazy to think that like not enough people invest in their future and they're like, oh, well, I did it, right? Like I went to college and now I'm a lawyer, tough shit. I got to be a lawyer the rest of my life. Or I went to be a fireman, now I'm a fireman, I'm stuck. You're not stuck. You can you can change your trajectory tomorrow. Like we got our dream jobs and never in a million years, if you asked me in 2012 when I bought my first rental property, I would have told you, I'm going to stay here for 30 years because that's the cool thing to do. It's cool to be a fireman for 30 years. It's cool to have a public service career. And then one day, all the benefits just kept changing along our path. And we kept growing our business. And we're like, you know what? We're financially secure. We can leave. And that was the craziest thing that we did. And 
I, I was going to save it for the end, but I'll tell everybody now, like you can change today. Like you can do, you can take action immediately today, quicker than ever to change your trajectory. Yeah. Cause it's been incredible just, just to see what you've been able to amass since 2012, you know, basically 10 years, right? It's like a decade and uh, you know, five years can, you can, you can, I mean, you could have your dream life in five years. You can have the life that you would have never even dreamed of in, in, in 10. Um, but let's go back to that first property. Was yeah. that, uh, take me through that when you guys uh, took the leap. It was, where did you guys start? Single family? Was it in, in neighborhoods that you knew? Because I know a lot of folks that reach out to me. They're like, I just want to know where to start. Where's that first step? So that's why I enjoy asking that question. You know, uh, some days I, I have no clue why we took the step. And other days it's like, <laughs> it's so clear and obvious, but we bought our first rental property, which was a single family dwelling unit uh, in East Baltimore uh, in a tougher neighborhood, cl- definite class C. We bought the place in 2012 for $25,000. We put $25,000 into it, plus or minus who knows accounting was on the back of the napkin then. And uh we were all in somewhere between 50 and 60 grand, had a hard money loan for like, dude, it was like 14%, no, 16% and like seven points, something insane. I had no clue what I was doing. And, uh, but you know what I did is we did it and I got a subsidized tenant section eight for $1,250 in a house that we were all in for like 50 or 60 grand. And that was like, dude, that was the hit man. That was like the drug, the crack, whatever you want to call it, man. We were cash flowing $600 a month without trying with that crazy ass hard money loan. Yeah, my credit score was like 570 something when I started. I, all I said to myself was, I got some cash. I'm going to figure this out and I'll figure out how to refinance it later. It's all going to work out. Maybe not the best plan of action, but I just somewhere in deep down inside of me, I was like, all right, let's just do it. And we did it and we were able to refinance it and we were cash flowing 600 bucks a month. Dude, an overtime shift at that point for me, I was getting like 300 bucks. After taxes, I was like, so I risked my life for 14 hours to get 300 bucks and I did nothing to get $600. And it's not, look, we all get it. It's not nothing, but it was way more passive than risking my life. I was like, dude, that's it. Like two months later, three months later, I bought the second house around the corner uh, and off I went. I did the same exact thing, same exact pricing, uh, right around the same amount of rent. And that was it, dude. I hit the ground running, and we we go from 2012 to like 2014. We we got to like 10 rental properties. My business partner was wholesaling. Uh, we were kind of on two separate trajectories, uh, and that's that's the path that we took. And then ultimately, we met up in 2014, and, and we can get into that in a second. So, but yeah, that was it, it. Was just really like finding a property that made sense. I was like, yo, for 25 grand, if I lose 25 grand, it is what it is. My credits in my credits in the it's trash. If I get, if I lose this house for 50 grand, whatever, dude, it is what it is. I'm 30 something years old. I'll figure it out later. It'll all work out. And if it doesn't, I'm young enough to fix it. And I got this career path and it'll work out. So I want to take a moment to recognize one of our sponsors. One of the wealth strategy secrets of the ultra wealthy is that they make more income and grow their net worth every year and legally pay less in taxes. They also grow their capital when markets go up, down, and sideways. They grow their capital in economies that grow and boom, and in economies that are in recessions and even depressions. 
If you are a high-income earner and trying to figure out how to legally reduce your taxes while receiving cash flow and growing your capital, Pantheon Investments have a great opportunity right now. By leveraging Pantheon Investments' holistic wealth strategy and its exclusive relationships, you can access an opportunity right now in oil and gas. This opportunity will help W-2 earners to legally reduce taxes, generate cash flow, and grow their capital. This exclusive opportunity will also position you to be on the right side of rising oil and gas prices. This is a limited offering available to accredited investors only. To learn more, go to CashflowNinja.com forward slash Pantheon. That's CashflowNinja.com forward slash P-A-N-T-H-E-O-N. And then you guys stayed in single family for a while, right? At what time did you pivot into another asset clause? Yeah, so from like 2014, um, a business partner, we grew up together. We kind of joined forces, wholesale to package of houses. Uh, started flipping a bunch of houses from 2014 to 16. Uh, and then from like 16 to 19, we built a pretty big, you know, about 100 single family houses uh, rental portfolio. So we flipped roughly like 90 houses, built another 100 house single family portfolio for ourselves. And in 2019, that's like when everything started to change, right? Like pre-COVID, pricing was just like out of control. We were buying shells down by the stadium in Baltimore. It's called a little sub area called... um. Pigtown, we would buy shells anywhere from five to 25 grand. We'd be all in for about a hundred, 120,000 bucks. We would get rented at about 1250. Uh, they were worth about 150 grand. So we would refinance with the bank. Sometimes we'd have a couple grand stuck in. Sometimes we get all our money back. Every once in a while, we get a few dollars back and we just keep it, keep that cycle rolling, right? Like it's like a stock portfolio. I got some money stuck. I got some infinite returns. It all works out. And the pricing just like, dude, it just shot up. And it was like guys were buying shells for 50 grand and they were putting 80, 90, 100 grand into these things. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, rent is still 1250. Rent did not move. This doesn't make sense to us. And luckily for me, uh, my business partner is much more grounded than I am. I'm definitely the visionary in our company. And he's like, yo, dude, we got to work on operations. Like, we build a massive portfolio. Let's clean it up. Let's work on operations. There'll always be deals. And I'm over here going, dude, this is it. Like, there's no deals left. We got to buy. We got to buy. He's like, just just stop. And I was like, okay. Well, when I stopped, him and our project manager worked on operations and I got bored. And I was like, okay, well, let me start looking into other stuff. And we stumbled onto a multifamily deal that worked out for us. So 2019 is really when we turned the corner to take a big leap uh, into new assets of multifamily, industrial, and self-storage. Uh, talk a little bit about the the imp- importance of that partnership and having different uh, strengths and skill sets and different roles, uh, because you it seemed that you found a great partner that you guys balance each other uh, balance each other out. Because um, I mean that is it's huge. It's a mar- it's a marriage <laughs> essentially, uh, dude. It's a marriage because you know what? When it's good and you guys are both jamming and you're both doing your own thing, it's great. And like when he's pulling one way and I'm pulling the other, it's like yo, this is. This is hell, dude. Like, yo, just put it to bed. Like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. It's like, it's just, it's a fight in a marriage. It straight up is. But you know what? Like, we both are, we did a disc personality test challenged by us and some masterminds that we were in. And, you know, I'm a D and an I. He's a D and an S, 
right? So we're both decision makers. So every once in a while we rub there, but we can easily persuade each other to make a decision. But in the same sense is like, I'm looking at growth and the vision and I'm the one on the podcast, not him. But you know what? I'm not the right one to pay the bills either. Dan's the right one to pay the bills. His skill set offsets my skill set and vice versa. And very rarely we overlap in the one place that we both should be good uh, overlapped at. And that's making decisions that advance the company forward. So Dan does a lot more of the back end, make sure the books are in order, make sure we have budgets, make sure all the investors are getting paid. Um, and just keeping everything afloat, very, very analytical on that side of things. And he thoroughly enjoys it. He basically acts as a CFO, whereas I act more as like the chairman. Uh, and I go out and say, hey, like I like these deals. I underwrote them. What do you think of this? And if I can, I hate to use the word pitch, but if I can show a deal to Dan and he gets it and pitch it to him, well, then I know other investors are going to understand it because he keeps it very simple and he understands cash flows. And the same way when Dan comes to me and say, hey, like, you know, because we invest in our own deals and I'm, he's like, hey, I got to hold money back. I'm like, well, dude, like we need to make this. And I'm like, all right, well, it makes sense from an investor standpoint. And we're able to offset each other there. And then, like I said, we're both able to make decisions that move the company forward. And we both act as a CEO together, which, you know, I tell everyone that's in a partnership, go take a dispersonality test and figure out where you guys overlap and figure out where you guys and gals um, are completely opposite. And where you overlap, you need to be cautious of. And where you're opposites, you should be grateful for because you should offset each other uh, and move forward from there. So, yeah, there's a there's a mentor of mine in South Africa that that always used the ter- the term hunter skinners and meat processors. And it's like with hunting, you've got someone out hunting, then you've got someone that's skinning, you know, the buck, and then the meat needs to be processed. It's all uh, three different skill sets, and you would find people that enjoy. Every every one of those stages, like some people are enjoy skinning more than hunting or yep. processing the meat or just maybe I'll add a fourth one eating it. Right. Yeah. Um, hell yeah. Let's eat it. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's so important to, to, you know, have well, different sides of it that balances each other out, different skill sets. There might be some overlap, which which could also be good. Uh, positive and negative, but yeah, it's very, very true what you said. Have different, different things that you're good at and enjoy. And, w- and once you understand a dispersonality test, you can quickly identify people of what their letters are. You're not going to go to an investor and be like, can you take this dispersonality test so I can understand how to sell you or take it to a contractor to be like, take this so I can understand how you work. You very quickly understand like contractors are sales guys, therefore they're DNIs, right? Like, so you got to be careful. They're going to say yes to everything. So when you're doing it for yourself, you're also looking at it to like vet your vendors and be like, all right, well, my vendors, the sales guys always sell really good. So I know they're high personality types, but what's the back end look like? All right. I met the accountant at that vet, at my property manager and she's definitely an S personality type. Great. Like I know are financially good and you'll start breaking people down. We use it to raise capital. We use it to work with vendors. We use it to hire employees, you know, almost immediately what their personality type is, and then you can predict what's going to happen. So it's not just for a business partnership. It's also for every other... You got to look at every vendor you utilize, every investor. Everything is a partnership. Everything is a relationship. And most breakdown in relationships, uh, to take it a step further, is a breakdown in communication or a rub in personalities. And if you can understand where that rub's going to be or where you're going to break down in communication because you have two different thought processes, you'll be able to navigate that issue, ultimately, hopefully, providing you better success and keeping everything moving forward rather than fighting about the same dumb shit, which we all have complaints about our significant others, I'm sure, because you know how to get under each other's skin. So, 
Yep. I want to take a moment to recognize one of our sponsors. My friend Dave Zook says, you can be conventional or you can be wealthy. Pick one. At The Real Asset Investor, Dave and his team bring their investors high-yield investment opportunities across several asset classes for cash flow, tax impact, and equity growth. He and his team are one of the top five ATM operators in the country, and they have an investment opportunity available to accredited investors right now in the ATM space. To learn more about their ATM funds that produce tax-free cash flow, visit therealassetinvestor.com. So from went into multifamily and then you guys ended up in cell storage. What were some of the things that attracted you to uh, that asset class? So I would say the commercial asset class in general would have attracted us. Uh, and when I talk about the asset class, I'm talking about commercial real estate, right? Like here we are, we just did like in a six, seven year period uh, less, we did like 200 houses between flips and creating a rental portfolio, wholesaling, there's probably more than 200, whatever it is. Dude, we grinded it out. And it's like, I can't believe how much work we did on each individual transaction versus what we did to do one $12 million transaction or one $7 million transaction. The amount of work I used to do on every single family house, I did all that. And I just did it over one nice long period of time. I could work on... I noticed what happened was when we went from single family, a lot of action, right? Like you're on the blackjack table and you're like... You're going, you're like, you're having a good time. You're moving and shaking and all these parts are moving. And you get to commercial real estate. It's like, yo, you're in the back room, smoking a cigar, having a sip of whiskey, enjoying yourself, right? Because it's a much longer process and you can work on one big deal for a whole year or you can work on one big deal for one whole quarter and all your resources and all your skill sets that you have apply. Just you're doing it on a larger scale. And that that's really it. And that's what attracted us to it is... Our skill set allowed us to take that next leap of faith, right? Like can, we do really good at construction and capex, execution operations. We can do, we can underwrite deals, we can do the capital. Capex was our wheelhouse. So in 2020, January of 2020, here we are. Actually, I was in, I was at ClickFunnels uh, in Nashville. I wouldn't say that I accidentally ended up out for an extended lunch. I was on a patio of some bar, maybe on Broadway, maybe not, um, closing this deal. We were buying 34, 44 units out in Ranson, West Virginia. And um, this is just pre-COVID. And we're like, yeah, dude, this is it. And we bought it. And we knew our skill set was we could send our guys from Baltimore to go down and renovate 25 of the units in a six-week time frame. And off we ran. Of course, COVID hits and everything else. But we figured out that we're really good at CapEx and structuring the deals. And that's what we're going to continue to execute. And by doing multifamily, industrial, and self-storage, ultimately self-storage and multifamily, we could do it consistently and have the runway uh, to execute on a high level. And this is what you guys are currently working on too. Uh, what are what are you up to these days? And what does that space look like? And uh, what are some of the opportunities that you see there too? Yeah. So we always look for multifamily stuff close to us in Baltimore, just because we have a big management team here. Um, you know, deals are harder to come by. Uh, you know, there's a lot of sophisticated capital all around us, you know, so they chase deals, they buy them at stupid cap rates. But what we found out um, operating in the self-storage space is that um, there's a big runway for us. There's It expands us outside of the Baltimore metro area. Uh, 
and it gets us into other marketplaces and jurisdictions where they're pro business. You get out into some other states in the country, the towns are helping you, right? Like you're being a part of something. And for us in self storage, the other thing we found out during COVID, sorry, this is kind of a long answer to a short question is not only was there tailwinds because there's a lot of opportunity and deals, but what we found out in COVID is you are not, dude, you are not in control, right? Like March or whatever hits that next day. I can't evict. I can't raise rents. I can't do this. I can't do that. Tenants don't have to pay you rent. Guess what? Never stopped. During during that storage, you could still do your lien laws and do your auctions. You could still raise rents. Is it right? That's a whole nother question. You could still do everything you need to do. I can do online move-ins. I wasn't doing online move-ins in the multifamily or single family space. I was confined to so many consumer laws. I mean, we're still chasing evictions from COVID here in Baltimore, dude. Like it took us, we were about a year behind to lift all the COVID stipulations. So that very quickly showed you you are not in control. And we said, you know what? We want to control our destiny. We want to be in an asset class where we can still act as a business owner and do what we need to do. And that was something that COVID exposed for us, um, as well as proved to us where our business plan and where our core values lie uh, in operating a business. It's, uh, I mean, there's a lot of good lessons during that time, right? Because you, like you said, that's one of the things when you realize when there is a massive uh, you know, event, let's just put it that way. Um, then all of a sudden you're like, what do I have control over? Well, I can't do this because the government, right? Again, all, everything came from the government at that stage. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right, wrong or indifferent. Right. But yeah, no, they, it, dude, they shut, I'm telling you when they shut us down, like it was like, uh, are you a core business? I'm like, do we provide, we provide housing for people. They need to live they need they need somewhere to stay and like people are like you can't go I'm like no, I'm going to work dude and I'm not wearing a mask and it's a whole nother thing but it was like we're in control like yo I still got to make a payment to the mortgage company I still got to make a payment to my investors I still got to pay my vendors my employees like these things just don't go up and they're like no you don't have to pay your rent and I'll tell you what we have some tenants that worked for the eviction uh, office in Baltimore they were like they were the worst ones because they knew the system like and then they're telling other tenants yo don't pay your rent and they're like yo stop like. One thing we did at the start of COVID was we reached out to all of our tenants and said, look, if you got an issue, you let us know and we're going to work through this, right? Like being transparent, open and honest. But yes, we still had issues and we were chasing people pre-COVID that were an eviction that all of a sudden was like, courts are closed. We're not evicting anyone. We're like, yo, like, okay, well then release eviction protection money. No, we're going to hold on to that too. So now you're handcuffed. It was like, all right, so I can't evict and you won't release all this federal money that was released to you. We're stuck, man. Like, what do you want us to do? Meanwhile, in storage, all right, we're doing our thing. People are moving in, moving out. People are buying RVs and jet skis and they're cleaning their houses out because uh, they're making home offices and they're getting rid of all the junk because grandma's got to move in to save money or whatever's going on. That business kept churning. And it was like, you know what, man? Like, we'll operate where we know how to operate in residential. But if we're going to do storage, we have opportunity here and we can, I won't say exploit it, but we can take advantage of the opportunity that it provided us during COVID and expand on it. And I mean, from 2020 uh, to roughly, well, to today, we have, we went from zero to 700,000 square feet in a really short period of time during COVID, during all the BS, during everything. I mean, we were getting on flights. There was two people on the plane. It was great, dude. Um, and we just kept growing and we kept our foot to the floor. And grew when it was time to grow. Um, so yeah, man, it was it was a crazy run, and it's a great business. 
And especially where you're seeing the real economy now going too. I mean, this is a recession, you know, depression resistant kind of asset class. Um, because essentially, like you said, your tenants are is tough. <laughs> so yeah, well, thank God for Americans. Uh, they they always think they're going to get their their stuff back, right? Like, yeah. all right, I got to downsize because it's too expensive. Let me put the shit in storage. Well, all right, cool. I appreciate that. Or hey, I bought an RV. Uh, I can't put it on the road because diesel seven dollars a gallon now. I'm going to go put it in storage, right? Like, I'm, I'm going to use it again. I'm going to use it again. I don't know if they if they have that in your home country. But for some reason, Americans, we love storing our stuff, man. And 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 the other thing with storage, I didn't mean to cut you off, is that when you look at rent, it's $1,500 or $1,000. You know, to store your stuff is 80 bucks, 100 bucks, 200 bucks, right? Are you really going to cut that off first? Be like, you know what? I'm throwing out all grandma's heirlooms because I can't afford 50 bucks. Or they're going to say, you know what? I'm going to downsize a little bit. I'll just store my stuff here. And one day... I'm going to get it back. And usually nine times out of 10, that's that's what happens. That was one of the things that was always funny to me when I came to the States and I saw like the huge boom and sell storage stuff. And I'm like, how prosperous is this place? It's like there's a boom in an asset clause, which is essentially the value is it's a place to put the stuff that can't fit into your house or your vacation house yep. you can put it here yep. and you can pay extra for it it's crazy oh yeah and all kinds of great upcharges we'll sell you insurance you know all those good things but i will say there there is intrinsically something that is that is true besides the american dream and you know how whatever you want to call it of storing your shit as i like to say <laughs> um is a lot of businesses during covid realize they don't need that ten thousand square foot warehouse they could rent Three storage units. Um, I don't know yep. if you have it where you are, but uh, in the city here, we had a lot of birds and limes, you know, the scooters that people were renting. Yep. They returned them to, they use storage units to store and fix all their stuff. When COVID hit, our gym shut down. We rented a storage unit to put the gym in there. And we would literally, we put our personal trainer in there and was like, hey, man, like you want to still make money? We'll put you a gym set in here and you work out there, right? Like there's a lot of reasons to use storage. And for e com and for businesses in general, they're utilizing storage as a place to operate it out of. So, like one of our sites, um, it, we can accept tractor trailers. 15 units are rented by, um, Little De- little Debbie, you know, like the 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 snacks in the shops in the yep. corner stores, they rent fifteen units there. The tractor trailer comes in from their distribution plant out in Houston. He comes in at three o'clock in the morning. He fills all the units, and then all the other dudes in the place. There's like ten other units that are rented out to guys that deliver them. So they go and pick up their trailers or their uh, uh, vans, and they go load up in those units, and off they go. And they're utilizing our storage center. Basically, as a hub for their business, and they don't have to pay four, five, six, seven dollars a foot for warehousing space that they don't really need. They can use our storage place uh, as a place to operate their business out of, which I think is really cool. So, yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, in that talk about an industry that's booming and continuing to grow, right? And especially when you start as an e-commerce business, uh, you start small until you eventually grow. So that might be a great uh, place to to start you know, warehousing some of your stuff until you grow into something bigger. Oh, you you want to know another fun, another fun tenant in the storage world is uh, ask your lawyer or doctor where they store all their documents that are supposed to be protected. Um, we have plenty of units that are leased out to doctors that uh, like to store all their patient notes inside the storage unit. And I don't know if it violates HIPAA or whatever, 
but they are never going to move. They are never moving those files out of there because they need them. God forbid they get sued. Right. Like, but again, that's, there's a reason people need storage. It's not just for the American dream. You know, businesses are utilizing. We get a lot of landscapers, contractors um, that utilize it for a central place. They don't want a $2,000 a month payment. They want 250 bucks. They're going to get a big 10 by 40 or a bigger unit. And they're going to lease it and they're going to store their truck there and all their materials and have a place as a central hub for guys to get started every day. And you know what? It works. And um, if you can figure out how to get the storage units um, to lease them, not only to American you know, homeowners, there's other ways to lease them too. Uh, actually, there's a really interesting thing in the climate control space. They'll fill up every little space inside these big warehouses that are climate controlled. One of the things that they do is they like to make wine lockers and these like little two by three units. But that's a huge thing. People want to keep the wine, their prized possessions, conditioned and ready to go. Uh, and it's storage just as a whole is is, is a great way to operate a, re- um, a rental business. I want to recognize one of our sponsors, Penumbra Solutions. Life settlement investments have allowed financial and banking institutions to not only buy their equity contractually, but also diversify their capital from any economic, market, and geopolitical risk. It's been part of the billion-dollar blueprint followed by institutional investors. And if you're an accredited investor, you can also now participate in this vehicle with enormous growth potential. You can watch an informational webinar presented by one of the premier organizations providing life settlement investments, Penumbra Solutions, at cashflowninja.com forward slash life settlements. That's cashflowninja.com forward slash life settlements. So there's a couple of players coming in to sell storage too, right? A lot of uh, big uh, private equity uh, coming in there. Um, So is there a specific niche that you guys are just targeting and playing in? Um, Because obviously there's a big, a lot lot of players coming in because of the cap rights too in that space. Yeah. So everything we've always done has been a value add type proposition. We don't buy deals that we're building from the ground up too much risk, right? COVID hits, supply chain issues all your numbers are out the door. So we buy right. stuff that are, are basically operating businesses that we can go in and value add, step in, fix it, have cash flow coming in um, and turn it and then expand later. Now, a lot of the sophisticated capital is chasing your class A stuff, right? Like you got the REITs of public storage, CubeSmart. Uh, you got private equity firms that are chasing this because they're chasing returns and bonus depreciation uh, and a few other things. But we just kind of nestle ourselves down into the value add, self storage business, um, class B, high class C, class B properties, your traditional drive up stuff, uh, you know, mom and pop operators that don't have websites, mom and pop operators that aren't upcharging for tenant insurance, 24 hour access, don't have management systems in place. There's usually a ton of dollars to squeeze out of there. And you got to remember, a lot of these storage facilities, even though I'm in, uh, let's say, Sems, Alabama, right? Like nobody knows where Sems, Alabama is, a little town outside of Mobile. It was a 90-year-old lady or 85-year-old lady who owned this facility. She ran it great for years, and then she started to get sick. There was no kids to pass the property on to. So the one nephew who was taking care of it, he's like, I don't know what I'm doing. We put a website. We, you know, she owned her finance to us. She was grateful to do it, take it off her hands so she could concentrate on her health. 
We put a website up, dude, we filled that place up over like literally overnight in like four months, the place was filled up and back in order. And I was like, damn, man, like it worked. Right. Or, uh, we bought this other one out in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, where we had, um, an owner who just was not concentrating on it. He had too many other open projects. We went in there, we stabilized the management, put a website up there and it stabilized almost immediately. Right. So Taking today's technology and applying it to what people built um, goes a super long way. And that again, that's the advantage in storage versus your residential asset classes. Because in residential, you still have tenant contact versus over here where we're operating in a business that we can run remotely from Baltimore um, and do what we need to do. And we can, again, like you said, not compete with private equity firms or REITs because we're staying down here stabilizing them and hopefully exiting to the private equity firms is our goal is basically to set it up, do all the dirty work and let them buy it at a cap rate, let them cash flow it, let them do whatever they do for their family offices and keep it moving. So Yeah. And it's exactly what they want to do. They don't want to buy something and fix it up and, and get it up and running. They just want to, to essentially buy a business that's already firing on cylinders. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, they're not going to do the dirty work. And that's where, you know, guys like us that can still wear hoodies and grow nice beards, um, <laughs> go in and do the dirty work, right? Like they don't want to do it. Their job is to allocate funds. Our job is to go in and do the dirty work and say, Hey, allocate your funds to this beautifully stabilized property. There's still some meat on the bones. Come in and buy this thing. Coincidentally, we're actually legacy owners. We don't sell many things. Uh, we're eventually trying to get to a point where we're going to have a bigger exit by having a bigger portfolio. Um, and make it worth our time to exit. But there's a lot of guys that go in there and even buying the dirt. Like you see a lot of these, you know, go out wherever you are, cube smart, life storage, public storage. Not all of them are corporate stores. They're private guys building these and turning around and selling. They're letting them, the REITs come in and manage them. And then the REITs go, you know what? I really like how this is leasing up. We're just going to buy this off your hands. Thanks for taking all the risk. We'll use our money. I mean, public storage bought, um, easy storage, uh, in 2021, I think. And it was roughly like a 4% cap rate. And we're all going here. Oh my God, dude, 4%. How can they make money when they, they don't borrow money, dude. They got the cheapest capital in the world, right? They go to the market, issue more stock. Um, and they have so much exposure. Yeah. Okay. Well, they're buying 4%. They're trying to place billions of dollars to get 4% where we are trying to place hundreds of thousands of dollars to get a much higher return because we have to. Um, so, yeah. So a lot of interesting stuff going on uh, in the economy and the world and, and so forth. Um, and I'm always interested to know what successful people are studying and learning to like capitalize on, on stuff, what's going on. So what are you, what are you studying and learning these days? I am studying quite a, quite a bit. Uh, I always like, well, I always like founder stories. Um, actually, this morning, I just downloaded uh, Sam Walton's book, uh, Made in America uh, yep. from from Walmart. Yo, dude, like I'm like two and a half hours in. Like I'm, I can't wait to get back in the car and drive home and be like, listen to another hour and a half. Uh, so yeah, I always like listening to founder stories. Uh, I, we, we cross paths. I've been working on um, some of my whole life insurance policies and uh, my Nelson Nash stuff. And uh, other than that, man, just really studying other founders and understanding what's going on in the marketplace, how other founders made it, right? Like you can learn so much, like just sitting down with you and Carl and a few other guys, like learning what you guys do. I'm like, all right, great. How do I apply that to me? Okay. I'm listening to Sam Walton's story. 
like I resonate with a lot of stuff that he does. I'm like, yeah, dude, that makes sense. I should try this in our business. You're right. Cause we're, we're in the self storage business and we're a forward facing business. Like yep. some of that stuff crosses over or, um, I listened to another founder story. Like I love, uh, uh, Atlas Shrug is like a great book, right? Like just concepts right. from there and yep. like understanding all that stuff is like, man, the more you can read and the more you can hear how other people are doing it. I think podcasts nowadays uh, do a great job with it and YouTube and all that good stuff is is utilize those things to create education um, to help you grow who you are and understand what's worked in the past, chew up what you need to chew up and then keep it moving and, and learn from the next person. Yeah, I I love that. And and Atlas Shrug, I mean, is essentially what we're we're living through Atlas Shrug right now. It's oh crazy. dude, I I read that. I read that me and actually my podcast uh co-host, we did a challenge with each other and a few other guys. I was like, yo, dude, book 63 hours. We doing it. And he's like, Hell yeah, let's do it. And we did it in 2020, right around election season. And I'm like reading the book and I'm like watching the news. I'm like, dude, like. This is insane. The whole thing's happening in real time. But like for that book to stand the test of time, dude, like, yeah, that's crazy. Like that whole thought process and like how true it is to go out and be a producer, be a productive member of society. What that means um, is just like, that's great, dude. The thought process there, like that, uh, Ann Ram was so ahead of her time. is just like unbelievable to me. It's, you know, if you look at clips of her and, and some of the interviews that were done about her on the Internet now, uh, like you said, she was 40, 50 years ahead of her time you yeah. know, because she saw everything already in the Soviet Union. And right. she kind of saw certain things starting to take shape in the West. And she goes, Oh boy, this is where it's all going to go. Yep. Uh, Cause I've seen this, I've seen this movie before, essentially. Well, um, and we were just talking. Yeah, go ahead. I was just saying, we were talking about the same thing when we had lunch that one day. Yeah. I, I was just like listening to you. I'm like, dude, you're 20 years ahead of us. You already witnessed this, right? Like, I'm like, are you sure? Like, you sure? It's like, nah, dude, I, I've seen this movie play out. I'm like, <laughs> Damn, dude. Like, so yeah, like, Again, that's the that's the benefit of listening to other people's stories, right? Like, and um, I was just listening to like a podcast with Mike Rowe, and it's like that guy seems like such a simple dude, but man, he is so complex. It's just like listening to how he thinks and how he started his career. I'm like, man, I can apply some of those same things to us just by doing the right thing every day. There's dude, there's so much info out there, and you know, people say the internet's bad, and sure, being on your phone and yeah, it's it is terrible for your health and everything else. But man, there's so much good info. And if you're going to utilize your phone and stare at social media or YouTube, make it purposeful, man. Be be a consumer of good content or be a creator of great content to help inspire other people, you know? Yep. That's it. That, I mean, that's that's how I try to use it too. And it's very specific. There's a reason if I look at a certain site or I listened uh, to something. There's an intention behind it, right? So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, this is good stuff. One of the things that I always ask first-time guests, because the show, we talk about cash flow and business and investing uh, and growing our capital and protecting capital and multiplying capital, but it is also about legacy. And I know... You know, we definitely connect on on that level too. So I always ask first time guests if you cannot pass on any, any money to future generations, and you're only allowed to uh, pass on three principles and values to them to grow and build wealth and achieve happiness and success, what would they be? Yeah, I would say you know three things, and I should have known this listening to some of your other episodes, but um, I would say one is definitely just 
I, I tell everybody, go out and swing the bat, man. Don't be scared. It doesn't matter how old you are, how much you got going on. If you, if you can go out and swing the bat and try and say you went down swinging, I mean, you did everything you could, right? Like, and if that's something that I could pass on and instill into my kids or anyone else that wants to do business, and hopefully this helps somebody out there that's listening is like, you know what? Screw it. I don't care. You got to remember, like when I was at work, I got eight like alpha males around me. Yo, you're dumb. Yo, like you're you're going to be one of them slumlords. You're going to be in your house when it's burning down. Like you're an idiot. You're going to get taken advantage. It was like, whatever, dude, just go swing the bat. Right. Like, and then I would say the other thing is just be true to what your core values are. Right. Like you so said, what values can you pass on? I, I can't. I know my core values, you know, your core values. And if you live by them and you operate your business by them and you live every day in your life intentionally by them, then that'll be okay. And that's something for each person to decide, but what I would pass on or what I'm going to hopefully instill in my children um, and people that work with us is like, just be a believer in what your core values are. And if you can operate by them, man, you're like, you'll be fine. Swinging the bat won't be hard because you're living by what makes you happy. And I think too many people are like, Oh man, MC's got it together. I'm gonna do whatever MC does, or I'm gonna do what Ian does, or I'm gonna do what Grant. No, like we all got our own path, man. And like I got external forces that make me do different things in different situations that you might do in certain situations. And I just know when I do them, I am a believer in my core values and that I'm doing what I believe in, and that's what matters the most to me and my family. And if everybody could live by that, I think the world would be just a touch better. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Well, I really appreciate this, my friend. Thank you so much for coming on the show um, and uh, sharing your journey and your values and uh, just providing so much value for my uh, my audience. Where can folks follow you? Where can they stay in touch of everything that you're uh, involved with? And, uh, you know, where can they learn about all the different projects? Yeah, we're uh, we're pretty simple. Um, everything's under Equity Warehouse, whether you're I think I got a Twitter now. Uh, I have to support old, old Mr. Musk. Um, but yeah, we're on we're on all the major social sites, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, um, Twitter. I think I'm on TikTok. Uh, everything's under Equity Warehouse. Uh, you'll be able to find us. And if you want any more information about what we do, you want to see some case studies on some of the deals that we did from when we were firemen all the way to the day we retired, uh, you can check out equitywarehouse.com. Dot com. We have a bunch of case studies on there and just shows you what we did, how we structured deals. Because again, we were just two simple firemen that have figured it out and how to structure deals and and do deals. So we like to share that with everyone. So I appreciate you having me on and hopefully it was a huge help to your audience. Absolutely. It was a blast. And thank you to you, the listener and the viewers for spending your most valuable resource, your time once again with me on the show. Everything Cashflow Ninja is at CashflowNinja.com. That's CashflowNinja.com. And you can sign up for our newsletter at CashflowNinja.com forward slash subscribe. Until next time, live infinitely.
This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objectives, situation, and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.